Welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables around the room. If you have a smartphone, you get an app called YouVersion. Click on Live. It'll bring us up by GPS. You'll get the sermon notes, the verses, uh, the questions at the end of the message. You can ask your friends and stuff, so you can do all that. Woohoo! Good for you. All right, so uh, baptisms and our barbecue is next uh, Sunday. There is no Sunday night service because we intend for all of you to get together and hang out. Nobody has to worry about leaving too early. And it is at the house my wife and I bought's foreclosure. I've been working on this house for six months to get it nice enough that your kids don't walk around the yard and eat like nails and stuff. Although that would be nice because they clean up the yard by doing it. But then the ER would have to take it out and then my wife would be working. So it's just all full circle. So I just get it anyway. So I'm working for six months to clean up the house. I am very tired. If you walk in my house, you go, well, hey, this doesn't look very good. You know what? You can come over and clean it yourself. That's all I'm saying. Now, uh, we are doing this, this thing next week uh, where, if, and I tried to do this last service and talk about it, but it sounded very sexist. And I'm not trying to sound sexist, but it just comes out that way. So just let it go. Okay, so uh, we're doing this thing where if you are a young guy and maybe you've never learned how to barbecue, uh, maybe you don't have a dad or maybe your dad makes peanut butter and jelly and doesn't know how to like sear things on fire, right? as is the great manly heritage to do. Uh, we, we have some guys, and what they would like to do next week is if your guy wants to learn how to barbecue, they will teach you. Uh, there's a sign-up thing in the back. Just put your name on it. They'll call you. They'll set it up. You can go and learn how to barbecue. Maybe, maybe you're 40 years old and never learned how to barbecue. Go and let them barbecue with you. Because if you barbecue like them, people will love you because their tri-tip is so good. So at the, at the baptism barbecue, we will provide the tri-tip. Uh, you will bring desserts, sides, your own lawn chairs. You don't have to sit in the lawn. I'll try to pick up the dog poop, but I may not get it all. So lawn chair, very important for you. So it's not like, what is that smell? I was at Aaron's house. That's... You're going to be a tough crowd this morning, I can already tell. So, so guys, there you go, barbecue. Girls, and this isn't just for girls, for guys and girls, but again, this is why it sounds sexist. We are also having a dessert competition. So, eek. So uh, if you are a girl who likes to make dessert or a guy who makes desserts, you can bring those and there will be some dessert tables and you can sign like your name and stuff and people will actually judge your desserts and there will be some goofy prizes we hand out to you too. So it will be, be a whole lot of fun. And then plus there is swimming and baptisms and all of that. You should all come, all of you. This is a community event. We all get together and do this. I think I got it all. Oh, if you have a bounce house too, like, you know, some... 20-foot gigantic bounce house just sitting in your garage that you, you want to let us use. Come and talk to me when we're done because it would be nice to get one. So the kids have something to do away from the nails and the dirt and the dog poop. Exactly. See? They're asking nicely. Why don't you stay on there reading God's Word? We'll get going. Here's a weird thing. I started to get a migraine this morning. Anybody ever get migraines? Anybody? Yeah, mine. I actually start to go blind in my eye. Yeah. So if I start like, poof, and I like run into something, just be like, oh, that's normal. That's what, no. Okay. Uh, this is Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that you would teach us how to be a people who live understanding the community that you have provided for us, that we would be redeemed and saved by you, but then also understand that you have sent us out to be part of a redeeming community uh, known as your church. 
Have us live in such a way that you are glorified. Amen. Have a seat. So we are in week four of the Song of Solomon. We are doing 16 weeks, and I know you're actually thinking at this point, how in the world is he going to talk for 16 weeks on this? You just wait. You'll see it all. Uh, Song of Solomon is about love and joy and intimacy and sexuality, that it is a gift from God. And I've had some people already start to ask, why do you teach a book that has all this crazy stuff in it? And I'm thinking, crazy stuff? I don't know what's crazy in the book. God made it. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And in the Song of Solomon, we have a book of the Bible thoroughly devoted to the issue of intimacy and sexuality and oneness and friendship, and nobody wants to touch it. Everybody wants to change the meaning. And you ask some people why, and they say, well, there's some graphic stuff in there. Well, God wrote it. He inspired it, so we should teach it. I mean, how can we tell people that they should read the entirety of the Scriptures if we aren't willing to teach all of the Scriptures? I mean, can we not read the parts that are too exciting? And we should read those parts all the time because we all need a little more excitement in our lives. Teach those every day. Uh, There are people who come along and only want to teach the book allegorically. That means only as a metaphor. Well, I believe there are literal and allegorical interpretations. Some people say that, well, it's not really about a man and a woman. It's about God and his people, or it's about us and Jesus. And I always think, really, really? Because if I go to heaven and some of this goes down, I will not be happy. I'll be like, I love Jesus, but not like that, right? Read the book, you'll know what I'm talking about. So what is this book about? Well, this book is about some amazing things. God is a great God. So far, we have looked at the first week that sexuality is a gift that God has given to his people. The second week, we looked at the she, the woman in the Song of Solomon. The third week, we looked at the he, Solomon, of the Song of Solomon. Today, we talk about the we, and the we is you and I coming along each, uh, alongside each other in love, helping to make a marriage and relationships last as a community. Now, i got a long build-up before we even get to the Song of Solomon today, so you just got to go with me because i got to get us all on the same page. Open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. First book in the Bible, very hard to miss. All right, in Genesis 2, 18, God has created everything. He's placed man in the garden. He's given man a job and some duties to do while he's in this garden. And he's pronounced everything good except for one thing. In Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be what? Alone. It is not good that the man should be alone. This is not just true of marriage. It is true of our entire lives. Churches will tell you that you have a God-shaped void inside of you that only God can fill. And I I think that's actually true. But you also have a human-shaped void that God has created in us as well. And God promises not to fill that. There is no substitute. Money, achievement, business, books. And God says He won't. God created us for community with each other and community with Him. It is how we were simply meant to live. Being in meaningful relationships is supposed to be life-giving for God's people. There's an Alameda County study that was done that was headed by a Harvard scientist of 7,000 people's lives over nine years. And here's some interesting things out of it. They found that isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with close personal relations. They found that people with bad habits like poor eating and smoking and obesity and alcohol abuse but had strong social ties, so poor habits, strong social ties, lived lives that were significantly longer than those who had great health habits but we're isolated. See, so it's better to eat, eat tri-tip and cookies with friends and eat broccoli alone. <laughs> this, is, this is how I live my life, right, right there. Uh, they found that if you, if you belong to no groups but decide to join just one, you cut your risk of dying in the next year in half. 
There are gospel community group sign-ups right up at the back. If you want to run out there right now, you can, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, the Journal of the American Medical Association uh, followed 276 volunteers that they infected with the cold virus. I guess it must be fun to have your job. What do you do? I inject people with the cold virus. You know, Wonderful. And they found that people with strong emotional connections did four times better at fighting illnesses than those who were isolated. They were less susceptible to colds. They produced less mucus, and they had less viral infection. And so you figure with billions of people in the world, then someone should figure out a way that where no one is lonely, where nobody has to be alone. And somebody did. That someone is God. The system is community. Community is more than just an emotional support system. It's more than just avoiding loneliness. Community is essentially one of the reasons why the universe exists. We are here to glorify and worship God, but secondly, it is about the community that God has created us to live in. It's why we offer you gospel community groups, and we push them so hard for you to be involved in them, because we want these gospel communities to simply be people who are doing life together. Last, last Thanksgiving, we did this thing called the Agape. The room was really nice, a great meal. We tried to get everybody to come. My gospel community didn't come. They did, and I had to be here. They, they, they did a whole dinner and thing on their own. And I thought, great for them. See, gospel communities may even get you out of church functions. It's like, awesome. I am so there. Now, to see why community matters so much to God, you have to understand what life is like in God before creation ever existed. And this is where the doctrine of the Trinity is very important. I mean, I, I can't fathom and understand people who consistently want to deny the Trinity. People try to put the Trinity into terms we can understand, like we can ever really fully understand God. You hear metaphors. Well, God is like an egg. You've got, you got the shell, and you've got the yolk, and you've got the, the white part. Well, it's really clear until you cook it. Then it turns white. Or God's like water, and you've got the solid, and the liquid, and the vapor, you know, and you've got all these things. No, God is not like an egg. God is not like water. God is like God. There is no other. Jehovah's Witnesses claims that Christians made up the concept of the Trinity. And I'm thinking, really? Make it up? Describe it? We don't even understand it. How do we make that up? If I made something up, I'd be able to tell you what it means. The Father, Son, and the Spirit, they exist as three persons, one God, perfect oneness, three persons. Deuteronomy 6.4, the great prayer of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The word one is the word echad. It's, it's, it's singularity and plurality. It's used of a cluster of grapes. Many grapes, one cluster. That is God. And it's difficult to understand, but difficult or not, what it tells you is that God himself has experienced perfect community within himself for all of eternity all community has to be rooted in the person and being of god or it is worthless hence why we offer you gospel communities i mean do you ever wonder what life was like in the trinity what that's got to look like i mean most scripture writers tell you about god's relationship to you and i so we don't know a lot but i think i think it's worth considering open your bibles to john chapter 10 verse 37 and think about this in the trinity do you think they ever bicker about who's the most omniscient like, well, I know everything. Well, I know everything more. Well, I know everything to infinity. You know, do you think they argue about stuff like that? Or, or who's the most powerful? Well, I'm omnipotent. Well, I'm omnipotent too. I'm just, as, you know, do you think they argue like who's the oldest? Whose turn it is to create a planet? No, no. Father, Son, and Spirit, so close. Jesus says in John 30, 10, 37, and 38, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Now, the Greeks came to call this mutual indwelling. It's the word perichoresis, which is where we eventually get our word choreography from. The Trinity exists as a kind of eternal joyful dance between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. God is a community. 
Yuri Bronfenbrenner's definition of a family is this, a group which possesses and implements an irrational commitment to the well-being of its members. Now, I will tell you, we should be first and foremost shaped by Jesus, but secondly, for better or worse, we are shaped more by people than anything else. And I believe that God will use people to heal people. Jean Venier writes this, A community is never there just for itself or for its own glory. It comes from and belongs to something much greater and deeper, the heart of God to bring humanity to fulfillment. A community is never an end in itself. It is but a sign pointing further and deeper, calling people to love. Now, this is the idea of the we in the Song of Solomon when it comes to love. Who are the we? We are the we. When you hear we, you think, oh, it's so much fun. We, right? We are the we. And it seems like something the Hebrews and the Jews understand so much better than we as Christians do. We, we have become very isolated and very alone. We, we, we like our individuality. And Christianity, because of how it began, is pretty Greek and Western in its outlook today. Greeks are always very linear. Greeks would be like, like this is like, say, time. You have beginning and end. Or look at the scriptures. Genesis, Revelation. What day and time was this? What day and time is this? Ah, beginning and end. But Jews wouldn't look at it like that. Jews would kind of look at it like this. And so you, they wouldn't see this. They'd see this. And I think God, I think God just kind of looks at it like this. Because God, ooh, nice. Don't step on that on the way out. Be like being at my house for the Fourth of July barbecue. Boy, you just zing right over, right, right over your heads. And so, and so the the the, the Greeks were very linear in how they looked at things. It's like this: in, in ancient Athens, cultural individualism gave value and meaning to people's lives. So the arts and education and athletics and anything else that brought about your ideal of what the good life was, well, that's what actually mattered the most. Hmm, sounds like America today. The pursuit of this good life led Athens to a cultural place that when a child was born, the family had a period of about 10 days to decide if the child was to be accepted into the family or not. When the child was accepted, it's then lavished with gifts like rattles and dolls and kites and marbles like a modern one-year-old birthday party. And they were taught that life is all about them. But if a child being born threatened the good life, it was done away with. Infanticide was was promoted as a safeguard against the problems of overpopulation, depletion of national resources, preserving your quality of life. In Athens, the death rate eventually overtakes the birth rate in such proportions that you could only find one family in 12 that had two sons. And the most amazing thing, in my humble opinion, is that when a child was accepted into a family, instead of the child being taught to be grateful for their life, they were taught to view life exactly as the rest of the culture did. They were taught that everything revolved around them. Again, sounds like America today. But in Jewish homes, children were viewed as a life entrusted to them by God, that they were to take care and love these kids. Even in one of the darkest places in Israel's history, the captivity in Egypt, even in slavery, Exodus 1.12 tells you the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. Even in their toughest times, Jewish people regarded children as a gift because Hebrews taught their children from a young age that life did not revolve around them. It revolved around God and the community that they were a part of. In living in community, the Hebrews found purpose and grace for their lives, and then they worshiped God together. It was centered upon Him. And this made life truly meaningful, that every moment was a gift. Now you're like, well, what does this have to do with marriages and Song of Solomon? Good, that's 
where we're going with this. Uh, in the book Mudhouse Sabbath, a lady named Lauren Winter, she's a Christian, but she talks about growing up Jewish. She talks about how much more fun Jewish weddings are than Christian ones. She says that at a Jewish wedding, everybody sings, everybody dances, everyone's almost rowdy. I, and some of the, the weddings I've done for some of you guys, you're trying to bring this back. That's a good thing. I enjoy your rowdy weddings. They're great. Uh, the Jews understood that community was a part of a marriage and a ceremony just as much as God was in that. And don't get me wrong. I believe Christian wedding vows... Uh, the, it's, it's a covenant between two people, and this is very important. Jewish wedding vows are, are more about a contract when God intends for us to be a people of covenant. And this is key to understanding marriage, that we understand that God is specifically present in a Christian wedding ceremony. And His present is, is what makes possible these amazing promises that people make to each other, to love and to cherish till death do us part. I mean, that's, that's hard if you're married. to you love and to cherish forever. Maybe just me. I don't know. Sometimes sometimes that's very hard. Now, again, Jewish and Christian theories of marriage seem to conflict because the vows in a Jewish ceremony are very simple. The groom puts a ring on the bride's finger, and he says, Behold, you are consecrated to me according to the law of Moses and Israel. And then they would read the contract. It's called the ketubah. They'd read this contract. Actually, if you read the, the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, this is actually written just like a Jewish wedding contract between God and his people. Now, again, I believe Christianity tells the best story in regard to marriage and everything else, but sometimes theology is a little different than sociology, especially when evangelical Christians are divorcing at a rate that is just as fast as everybody else in the country. Now, the, the symbols of a Jewish wedding are many. Uh, the Jewish couple, they're married in what's called a hoopah. This is a wedding I did a little bit ago for a couple. Here's a picture. This is what a hoopah looks like. It's a Christian ceremony, but we decided to do it under a hoopah. So this is, this is the, the four-cornered fabric. And the four-cornered fabric, what it's supposed to represent, and we call it, the girl on the left is Brittany. We call her Boots. That's her, that's her nickname. It's, never mind. Okay. Uh, the hoopah symbolizes the, the covering of your home. It also symbolizes the intimate fabric of the bed covers that the uh, couple will share. And it also represents the covering of God's grace and protection over this union. Under the hoopah, they'd exchange rings. They'd read the ketubah, pronouncing of blessings. And then you'd have the famous breaking of the glass, where the groom crushes a goblet under his foot. Now, the, this can represent the frailty of a marriage. It can recall the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and other holds that actually foreshadows the consummation of this union. But the broken glass and the hoopah, they're memorable. But the most important things happen after these things, not under the hoopah. At the heart of weddings, because also at the heart of a marriage, is the balance between privacy and the community that we're supposed to be a part of. Marriage is an intimate matter between two people knitting them together in very secret ways. But marriage is not just merely private. Marriage is also a community endeavor. It's your friends and family that come alongside of you to help you stay straight when you are running off the tracks. And there are two things in a Jewish ceremony, like two bookends, that bring balance. These two things are called yuchid, or I say it like yuchid because I'm a white boy, but yuchid and shavabrakat. Now, Yuchid and Shabbat they both come after the ceremony. It's after the hoopah and the ketubah and the breaking of the glass, and this is what makes the essence of a marriage. Now, Yuchid is what's called uh, onomatopoetic. You're like, what does that mean? It, it's kind of like the making uh, of a word. It's, it's a hush whispered words and essentially means privacy. Yuchid, privacy. This is privacy is forbidden to an Orthodox Jewish couple before they're married. They cannot be alone. Until the nuptials, the doors kept open. People watched them, chaperoned, no impropriety, no aloneness. So the very first thing, after the glass is broken, they escape off for a few minutes of privacy in a room alone, behind a closed door. In earlier times, this is where the, the marriage is actually consummated, in the Yuchid room, and everybody would stand outside and wait, which would be awkward, right? It's like... <laughs> 
what's going on in there? They're, you know, it's just terrible. Nowadays, there's, there's just some making out that goes on in the room. When, but when the bride and the groom come out of this room, they can't stop holding hands because it's the first time they've ever been allowed to touch. And so they're touching. They're, they're just hanging on to each other for dear life. It's, it's pretty cool. And then after they come out of, the, out of the privacy room, this is very important because this is where privacy gives way to community. And as much as the hand-holding couple want to be alone to stay immersed for hours on end, they come back to their friends and their neighbors and relatives who uphold them in their new life together. And this is called Shiva Bruchat. And in this, what happens, instead of going on a honeymoon, they go to seven nights of parties. And at these parties, there are seven blessings, Shiva Bruchat, seven blessings pronounced upon the couple. And what these two things do is they push the married couple into a community marriage. Because when you get married, it's not just a change in individual circumstances with the two of you. It's also a change because you will then interact with community different as a couple. And night after night, the new husband and wife will relate to this community by going to all of these blessings and helps transition them from privacy into community. These things go hand in hand. Now open to Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 4. Taking up a lot of time with this, so hopefully you understand how important that community is to God, marriage, church, life, and in a Jewish context, what a marriage actually looks like, so you understand some of the stuff as we get to it. Quick as I can, we will go through the we in the Song of Solomon. We'll jump around a lot, so just follow me. Chapter 1, verse 4, it says, We, we, we will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. This is after they, the, the book starts and they start talking to each other. And this is the community that gets together and they say, we love you. They come around the couple and they say, this is what God has done and we're excited and we want to be a part of it. Chapter 1, verse 11. We, we will make ornaments of gold studded with silver. This comes after Solomon and his bride are saying how much they love each other. They exchange their gifts with each other. And then the community comes alongside them and says, we are giving you gifts as well. What this means is that you need to pick friends who enhance your marriage. The we, we should always be a strength and not a weakness. You pick friends who encourage you to love one another. You pick friends who give you godly advice. You pick friends who give you good counsel. The friends say, we have jewelry for you and we're going to help you get dressed up for your big night out. You go and you have fun. They say, we love you and we love your husband. We're here to support you. Men, if you're in this room, listen to me. You should have no guy friends who want you to go to the strip club, to the bar, to not come home after work, who's to say terrible things about your wife. You don't want those guy friends. Ladies, you don't want girlfriends who want you to go out partying and just cut loose, dance with strange dudes, go to the club, encourage you to say bad things about your husband or say bad things about your husband themselves. You want friends, whether they're married or single, who encourage you to have a better marriage, period. Period. Turn to chapter 5, verse 1. There you go. Chapter 5, verse 1. It's like... Depends what version you have. It may be on the same page. I don't know. Chapter 5, verse 1, second half says, Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. This is actually connected with chapter 4. The guy is again telling his bride how hot she is. Again, guys, take that to heart. Tell her how hot she is. About her, hot, her hair, her eyes, even her teeth. She had someone after first service goes, He was telling me how great my teeth looked this week. And I go, well, it's biblical. It's odd, but it's biblical. Uh, <laughs> lips, cheeks, neck, her breasts. You know, yes, guys, it's okay to tell your wife you like her breasts. Ladies, let him do it, okay? You want him looking at yours and not someone else's, so, so let him just tell you it's fine. He talks about making love to her, how his heart is captivated by her, how he yearns for her, and she responds with, yes, I love you too. Come on over, baby. I'm ready. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, yes! 
And then chapter 5, the second half, the community responds, eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love. They say, this is a good thing. Now, some people teach that this may actually be spoken of by God. And if so, it's the only line in the book spoken of by God. And it shows he knows why he made men and women the way that he did. Now, chapter 5, verse 9. What happens in this portion is the husband comes home after a hard day of work. He wants to come be with his wife. She has a bunch of excuses. It's too early. It's too late. I'm too hot. I'm too cold. I'm in bed already. I don't put my slippers back on. I just don't want to do it. He's rejected. He leaves. She has a nightmare and then gets up to try to find him, and she sees her friends along the way, and she has great friends. Chapter 5, verse 9, they say, What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you adjure as thus? They say, Why did you reject? Reject him. What is wrong? Is he a bad guy? Is he a mean guy? Is he an abusive guy? What what did he do that you would punish him so? And it resets her focus and she essentially says he's he's great. He didn't really do anything. Her friends reset her perspective so she sees clearly. They push her past her self-centeredness to have an outward focus. This is what your friend should do. Now, I give you questions every week to ask on the way home with your spouse. This one is also good if you just have friends, you're going out to lunch. Here's a good question. Ask each other this. Do your friends help you to see clearly? Do your friends love you enough to tell you the truth? Are they honest with you? Or do you have friends that simply like, oh, you must have had a reason. Oh, it's okay for you to act like that. What kind of friends do you have? Ask that question. We'll cover all these things in detail as we go through the book. But this fight actually continues. She seeks reconciliation with her husband, and her friends actually join in to help. Chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Where is your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where is your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? These are the friends you want. They say, let's get the guy. Let's find him. Let's get you guys back together. They don't egg on the fight. They say, what can we do to help? And that's what they do. They strive to bring the couple to reconciliation. Now, if you are unmarried in this room this morning, I'll tell you a great secret. Married couples fight. Shocker. I know it's like, oh my goodness. I know you're thinking one day you're going to get married. It's going to be Garden of Eden right at your address, right? Not going to happen, all right? You will fight. It'll be... You just ask anybody that's married around you. Oh, yeah, there's they're, they're fighting that takes place. And this is what happens. Friends are come alongside of you and help put you back together. That's what the community does. I have people referring people to me all the time to talk to. I will tell you, if you come to my office to meet with me, I will yell at you for like an hour, and they like, get out. That, that's what I do. I will yell at you and send you out, and I'll tell you just most of this stuff that I'm talking to you. So really, if you have other friends, just say, here, download these 16 weeks of Song of Solomon and... Then talk to them if you still need to. But also on the other side, I know some other people who have had some issues in their marriage and they've talked to their gospel community about it, which is where it should go first. And the community has gotten around them and prayed with them and loved them and given some great advice. And this is what gospel communities should do for each other. We, this, this is key to who God is and understanding who God is. In Romans 5.11, it says, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus reconciles us to himself. He reconciles us to God. In 2 Corinthians 5.18 and 19, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It is our job to bring reconciliation to the world. Whether you're married, whether you're single, we bring reconciliation, speaking of Christ's love and Christ's hope to the world. And that's also to be lived in our marriages as well. If you are married and someone offends you, 
hurt you. Your job is not to want to crucify them over and over. Your job is to bring reconciliation. Marriage is no place for pride and wounded egos and vendettas. True friends will come in and help reconcile their friends' marriages. They don't encourage the fight that keeps them apart. Now, sometimes, sometimes, you have, you have friends and they don't understand the whole idea that there's also a privacy component to your marriage. Okay, right, just let you know, okay, they don't catch all the clues. And what happens next is after this couple reconciles, she wants to go to be with her husband in a biblical sense, all right, because it's the Bible and whatever, okay. She, she's turned on, he's turned on, but she has friends. She said, I, I'll spend the day with you guys, but, but now she wants to go be with him. She knows her husband wants her, she wants him, she goes to be with him. And in chapter 6, verse 13, what you see is her friends go, return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon you. They say, hey, you said you were going to spend the day with us. Where'd you go? And she's like, oh, I got things to do. I'll talk to you later. You know, and she runs off to go be with her husband. It's, it's actually very awesome. As a community, we are to support and encourage the oneness a married couple should enjoy together. If you have some married friends and one of them is always at your house all of the time, kick them out and send them home. If they spend more time with you than with your, their spouse, there is something wrong. Send them home. They need to go home like et phone home and get out and go home thank you true friends again reconcile their friends marriages and don't get all hurt when your friends want to go spend time with their spouse you encourage that go spend some hey baby time it's okay you encourage that and then the last thing you see in the book and i like this is in chapter 8 verse 8 it talks about a young girl growing up and it talks about how a community comes along and helps shape that. We do baby dedications here. And what we do is, is I usually like hold up a baby and I ask you a question. I say, will you live your life in such a way that this young child will see how to love and live for Christ by how you live your life? And I ask you to answer an affirmative, we will. And most of you guys say, we will. This is what a community does. We live in such a way so a young girl or a young man grows up into being a woman or a man. In chapter 8, verses 8 and 9, it says this, we, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. This is not a sexual euphemism. What this means is that she is a young girl. Okay? What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? One day, this little girl, she will grow up. She will be a mom, a wife, a holy lover to her husband. And what can we do? We can show her how it's done. We can live our lives in such a way that she sees what it's supposed to look like. And I know that a lot of you in this room, you've been in positions where you look at the, your life behind you and it looks like that pen I just threw apart. Your life is just devastation behind you. But your life is in front of you. It is not behind you. Christ redeems you and calls you to look and live forward. I will tell you, we have all at some point screwed the pooch. We have done that. We have all messed up. But from this day forward we can live in the effort and the strength that christ provides to be an example to every young girl and every young man at element so they can see how their lives are supposed to be lived now in preparation for this day verse 9 gives two different kinds of young women that are out there this is what they say if she is a wall we will build on her a battlement of silver this is actually very cool some young women are walls boys cannot get through boys come up and say you want a date no you want to call no can i text you no can i facebook friend you no can i email you no want to make out no you are a wall that's a good thing if you are single girls be a wall be the great wall of china you can see it from outer space be a wall I mean, this is the kind of girl who knows that, that boys are not just cool because they have a Justin Bieber haircut. 
They, they know that the Greek word for demon translates as teenage boy. Okay? She, she is aware. She is aware of the motivation behind it. We'll not be taken into it. And the other side says, but if she is a door, we won't close her with boards of cedar. There are other young girls who are all door. Everyone knocks. Hey, what's going on? A door swings right inside. Every Facebook request? Yes. Every text? Yes. Every flirting? Yes. Every, everything? Hey, can I make out? Yes. You know, that's what it looks like. You as a parent need to know your children. If you have siblings, brothers and sisters, you need to know what they are like. And we as element, as a community, need to know one another. You need to know, especially if you have young daughters, wall or door. And if you don't know, ask your friends. Because if you have friends who are honest, like we talked about just a minute ago, and you ask them, they'll say, oh, door. <laughs> Be careful. It's, it's a door and it's wide open. If your daughter is a door, the last thing you do is you give her a cell phone and a laptop in her room. You're just encouraging boys to knock on the door. What the community says is, if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. We will board her up like a hurricane is coming. We will stand guard for our sister, and they will have to get past our dog and our gun and our community to get to this young lady. That is what the community does. They step into the situation when they know you well enough, and they say, we will be this for your kids. We stand alongside one another. Community was meant to be doing all of life together. This is the we. And it comes to love and dating and marriage and kids and singleness and, and widowhood and all of that comes together in this. James 5.16 reminds us, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Life together, healing together, hope together. This is what God intends for His people centered around Christ. And my challenge for you today is you need to be the we. This is how God intends for Christianity to be lived. Not in isolation, but as the we. Now, every week, what I do is I kind of go through my little litany. You know, Michael Reed calls it my ritual at the end of my message. But I'm going to start with the end of it this morning. I'm going to talk about fellowship. And that in the back, there are sign-up for gospel communities. And, and I know if you haven't been in one or you don't understand what that looks like, it, they're, they're very scary. It's like, oh my, I've got to share my life with people? Well, well yeah, I, I talked to four people in the last two weeks who said they would never be in one. They've been in one now for a couple of months, and they go, I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world because they have now been connected to a family, and they love this family, and that's what we intend. There's no way you could come in here and be friends with 300 people, all right? But you can be, have close, close personal connections with 20, and this is why, again, we try and push you into gospel communities. To the side up in the back, there's also food in the back. Hopefully you can get some GC leaders that will be back there. You can say, hey, are you a GC leader? Maybe talk to one, find somebody, get connected with one. If you can't, sign up. We will get you connected into one. The band's going to come up. Uh, they're going to do some songs. This, these songs are all focused on the we. Okay? It's like a lot of songs of we, we, we. You sing like that if you want to. I don't care. All right, we. Right, Sean? Yep. That's how Sean sings it. Just like that. Yep. <laughs> Uh, we will worship God through prayer. There will be some deacons and elders in the back. And, and maybe if you've been, been hurt and you don't feel like you can actually connect well enough in a GC, pray with them. And maybe God can change your heart or give you direction of where you can go to be connected better into a GC. Um, we also worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the sidewall and in the very back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is then part of our worship. So you have that opportunity every single week. And lastly, um, communion. Every single week we bring you to this place where you break the cracker that reminds us of Christ's body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, representing his blood that was shed for you and I. 
And this is so that we can be reconciled to our great God. Our sins are removed by the great gift of Christ, and we are then reconciled. And we lay all of our burdens and sins at this place and live and walk in new life. Again, salvation is between you and God, but it's never meant to stay there. It is meant to become a community living and walking forward into what God intends for his people. And again, so my encouragement for you is be the we. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would understand what the we actually means, how you have created your people in our inmost places for community, and that you would take us and move us from places of isolation and to places where our hearts and our lives are wide open to others. And as we talk about gospel communities, that we don't become clickish, but we become open. That all are invited in because of your great love coming and redeeming the entire world. Father, you have shown how our lives are supposed to be lived. You stepped down into sinful humanity. You lived as one of us. And I ask that that would deeply affect us so that we would then live in love as you did. And Father, we know that there will be times when we are hurt by community, but there should be much more times that we are lifted up out of the pits that we are in because of the community you have have provided. And we ask that we do all of this with our focus on your Son so that our communities truly are gospel communities centered around the goodness and the grace that you have provided. And so that we would then live in such a way that the entire world would glorify and honor you because of what you have done and continue to do through your people. And that the entire world would say, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And that the earth would be filled with your glory because your children are. And that we have gone into this entire world with the great grace and the great hope of the community that you have provided. Father, I ask that you would help us. Give us the strength to be the we and to not shrink back from the calling, but to fully embrace it. And we ask this in your son's great and good name. Amen.